You know you need to eat healthy, but with so many conflicting opinions, knowing what to eat, it's confusing. Well, for starters, you should eat food. Yes, I know it's a bit more complicated than that, so let's sort the groceries and clean up our diet. You're listening to Healthy Looks Great on You, a lifestyle medicine podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vicki Petz-Casper. This is episode 106, What to Eat. You're going to learn some basic nutritional facts, as well as some ways to simplify all the noise about what you should eat to get healthy and stay healthy. I think what ruined us was eggs. Remember, they said eggs were good for us. Then they said, no, eggs are bad. Then they said only the yolk was bad, and then they marketed egg whites, and then they came full circle and said eggs were okay. Kind of makes you want to throw up your hands and eat Cadbury eggs for breakfast every morning. But that has consequences, doesn't it? One thing we all know for sure is that the Western diet is killing us, literally. And ironically, they call it the Standard American Diet, or SAD. And yeah, that's pretty sad, because high consumption of saturated fats refined carbohydrates, processed foods, and inadequate intake of fruits, veggies, and plant-based foods is linked to lots of chronic diseases, such as obesity, heart disease, stroke, and cancer. The standard American diet can lead to deficiencies in micronutrients, which are vitamins and minerals. In the United States, calcium, potassium, zinc, vitamin A, C, D, and E are under-consumed. What would happen if we got glad instead of sad and ate a healthy diet? Heart disease is the number one killer in the United States. And guess what we eat that contributes to that status? Foods high in cholesterol, saturated fats, such as red meat, fried foods, processed meats, and baked goods. Not only do we eat ourselves into clogged blood vessels, we drink up too. Sugar-sweetened beverages and too much alcohol both increase our risk of heart disease and stroke. Eating a lot of fried foods is associated with a 28% increased risk of having a heart attack or stroke and a 37% increased risk of heart failure. But it doesn't have to be this way. 90% of heart conditions may be prevented by a healthy diet. The standard American diet is also associated with an increased risk of high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Gosh, this diet isn't just sad, it's downright depressing. And it's personal for me. Pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes can be prevented through diet and lifestyle changes. In some cases, healthy eating and exercise can even reverse diabetes. And that's what happened to me. A few years ago at work, we were required to come in fasting and have blood work done for our health insurance. My blood sugar came back high. I did the logical thing and I cut back on sweets but my blood sugar stayed right on the border consistent with pre-diabetes. I got serious about my diet, and it was still above normal. That's when my doctor told me to read How Not to Die by Michael Greger. I mentioned this in the first episode, which is an overview of lifestyle medicine. The reason I'm telling you again is that this is the very reason I became interested in lifestyle medicine. I read the book, changed my eating pattern, and my blood sugar normalized, and it stayed that way. This is important for a lot of people because 1 in 10 people in the United States have diabetes, and many of them don't even know it. Some have type 1 diabetes, which is not associated with lifestyle, but 90 to 95% have type 2, which is strongly associated with diet. 
Specifically, too much processed rice, wheat, and meat are big culprits. Today's just an overview of nutrition, but throughout this episode, I'll share some quick tips. Let's start with a quick tip about grains such as wheat and rice. If you see the word enriched on a package, that basically means they stripped out all the nutrients when they processed it, and they had to put something back in it to even call it food. Enriched sounds like a good thing, but it's not. Instead, choose whole grains. That will lower the risk of diabetes and even cancer. And what about cancer, the number two cause of death? Well, that's a tricky one. Harvard University professor Teresa Fung says linking diet with cancer prevention is like putting together a jigsaw puzzle without all the pieces and the picture on the box. You can develop a sense of what the final image might be, but it remains incomplete and somewhat frustrating. But listen, we know that the standard American diet may increase the risk of certain types of cancer, and there are certain diets that are associated with a lower cancer risk. Stay tuned. I'm going to let you know more. Obesity also increases the risk of certain cancers. Currently in the United States, 42% of adults and 20% of children and adolescents are obese, and that number is rising. Weight gain is associated with increased intake of ultra-processed foods, like white bread, sweetened cereal, snack foods, candy, baked goods like cookies, pastries and cakes, ice cream, pizza, and processed meats like sausage, lunch meats, and bacon. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Now those are fighting words, aren't they? What's a Friday night without a meat lover's pizza? Mm, We'll get back to that in a minute. Dementia risks are probably also increased by a diet high in refined carbohydrates and processed meats. Okay, now do you want to clean up your eating? I hope so, but you're probably still asking, what is the best diet? Before we go on, we should probably step into the classroom and go to mini medical school and learn some more. In this case, you just might finish up knowing as much as your doctor. Now, doctors understand that nutrition is the key to preventing and treating the root cause of many diseases. It's right there in black and white in the textbooks that they studied and online resources they use every day. But when is the last time your doctor mentioned nutrition? Ever wonder why? In 2019, an article appeared in the Journal of the American Medical Association that said, and this is a summary, nutrition education in medical schools is rudimentary. Requirements for meaningful nutrition education in all phases of medical training are long overdue. Dietary interventions have been proven to both prevent and manage important diseases such as diabetes and cardiovascular disease. However, the substantial body of evidence that supports the benefits of nutritional interventions has not adequately translated into action in medical training or practice. And everybody said, Amen. The American College of Preventative Medicine said, We couldn't agree more. Our country is facing unsustainable health care costs and immense disease burden that threatens the viability of high-quality life for all Americans. Mm-hmm. Keep going. They joined the American College of Lifestyle Medicine to address this fundamental gap in physician skills, knowledge, and acumen. They said, let's not continue to just manage downstream illness and preventable chronic diseases, but fix the problem upstream by providing all physicians with a functional understanding of the key factors and elements to ensure proper nutritional skills and acumen. 
the health of our citizens, along with our country's viability, security, and competitive advantage is at stake. Huh, what a brilliant idea. Fix the problem upstream rather than taking pills to treat a condition. Wouldn't you rather fix the problem upstream? The American College of Lifestyle Medicine offers a training course for healthcare providers called Food as Medicine. They chimed in to say the fact that diet, healthy or otherwise, can impact an individual's health is well documented and acknowledged. Improvements in diet quality, like adding nutrient-dense, fiber-rich foods, may reduce disease symptoms and improve quality of life. Let me say again, we need nutrient-dense, fiber-rich foods. Advocacy for more knowledge about nutrition in medical school resulted in a requirement that the curriculum include 20 hours of training, but the compliance rate is low, and most of the education is centered on things like the energy content for proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. What you and I need is practical information when we sit down to the table. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you're among those who are trying to clean up their eating. In 2021, 39% of Americans were making the effort, and that number rose to 42% in 2022. It's a cause worth joining. Stanford University said, until nutrition becomes a consistent part of patient-doctor conversations, we will continue missing a major opportunity to help people live longer and healthier. Now, personally, I think it's going to be tough to incorporate into the patient-doctor conversation. Listen, doctors are not incentivized to prescribe medications. They simply do not make more money by writing you a prescription for an expensive new medication for high blood pressure instead of counseling you about your diet. But think about this. How long does it take for a doctor to electronically send a prescription to the pharmacy compared to the length of time it would take to help you adopt a healthy lifestyle. And before you start nodding your head and criticizing your doctor, think about this. You waited for an available appointment. Then you waited in the waiting room to only get a few minutes face-to-face with your physician. Now, imagine that good old Dr. Nutrition got educated somewhere and is now going to counsel all of their patients as part of the visit. Good grief, the day would never end and you'd be mad because you'd have to wait even longer for an appointment and even longer in the waiting room. So what do they do instead? There are a growing number of physicians like myself who are board certified in lifestyle medicine and can dedicate the time it takes to individualize using food as medicine. There are also nutritionists and dietitians who can help. Some busy doctors who understand the need will give you a handout or refer you to a website. What I'm really saying is, It's up to you. I'm here to help you sort through the confusion. Today in mini medical school, you're going to learn a little bit about nutrition. Don't worry, it won't be the required 20 hours that medical students get, but you will learn some very practical information that can help you clean up your diet. But first, the science. You may hear people talk about macronutrients and micronutrients. Let's start with the macros. That refers to the big three nutrients that your body needs, protein, carbohydrates, and fat. First, protein. Your doctor learned that protein contains four kilocalories per gram in medical school. But we aren't going to stop there. How much protein do you need? Well, that depends. It depends on your age, your weight, your physical activity level, and whether or not you're a man or a woman. 
As a general rule, the average person can multiply their body weight in pounds by 0.36 to determine how many grams of protein they need. For example, if someone weighs 140 pounds, they need about 50 grams of protein each day. People who are exercising strenuously certainly need more to maintain muscle mass. And it's better to spread it out through the day rather than eat a protein-heavy meal in the evening like most of us Americans do. And have you noticed that restaurants have started asking, would you like to add a protein? Usually they're charging more for it, but making it sound like it's something you need too. Active adults only need 10% of their calories to come from protein. But guess what? The average American intake is 16%. Some people weigh their food and count their macros. That sounds exhausting to me. How about shifting to healthier sources of protein instead? Eventually, we're going to talk about protein content and sources, but let's move on to carbohydrates. Keeping up with what's taught in medical school, carbohydrates also contain 4 kilocalories per gram. Did you think that carbs had more calories than protein? Well, they don't. Carbs can get a bad rap sometimes. Food labels often claim to be low carb or state the number of net carbs, but you know what? The FDA doesn't even recognize those terms. We need carbohydrates. They are the main source of energy when we're active. And of course, we need to be active. When you eat sugars and starches, your body digests them and breaks them down into simple sugars, which are then absorbed into the bloodstream. Then the sugar in your blood is moved into the cells in your body by insulin, where it can be used as fuel. If there's a surplus, then that extra glucose is stored in the liver, muscles, and other cells to use later. And the excess is converted to fat, and that's where we run into problems. Carbs are not bad. Too many carbs are bad. 45 to 65% of the total daily calories should come from carbohydrates. A 2,000-calorie daily diet should include about 900 to 1,300 calories from carbohydrates, which is 225 to 325 grams per day. And listen, there are healthy sources of carbohydrates and unhealthy sources. We're going to look at that, but let's go ahead and finish the big three with fats. Actually, let's do a pop quiz first. How many calories in a gram of protein? That's right, four. What about carbs? Again, four. Now, what about fat? Fat provides nine kilocalories of energy per gram. In addition to being a fuel source, fats regulate hormones and brain function, including mood. Vitamins A, D, E, and K must be consumed with fat to be properly absorbed. And you know what else? They taste really, really good. That's why they're added to packaged food, so you'll smack your lips and take another bite or even open another package. But what matters most is the type of fat. What we talk about is how saturated it is. You've probably heard those terms before, but let's break it down and do a quick review. Think of fatty acids as a chain of carbon atoms. They're connected by either single or double bonds. When there's a single bond, a hydrogen atom hangs on to every carbon in the link. It's saturated. At room temp, saturated fats are usually solid. Think butter, meat, and cheese. Only about 5 to 10% of your calories each day should be from saturated fats. That ends up being about 13 grams a day. But they taste oh so good, and we usually eat more. We eat more fried foods, baked goods, red meat, butter, whole dairy products like ice cream. Oh, and my favorite, cheese. And I'm not alone. On average, Americans eat 37 pounds of cheese each year. 
Thomas Edison said, the doctor of the future will give no medicine, but will interest his patients in the care of the human frame in diet and in the cause and prevention of the disease. Thomas Edison was right, but we have not done that. Let's look at the unsaturated fats. Those are divided into two main types, mono, which means one, one double bond in that carbon chain, and poly, which means more than one. So they have two or more double bonds. But instead of calling them monounsaturated fatty acids, MUFA, and polyunsaturated fatty acids, PUFA, it's a lot more fun to call them MUFAs and PUFAs. MUFA food sources are typically liquid at room temperature. Think olive oil. Diets high in good monounsaturated fats like nuts and avocados can lower blood sugar, triglycerides, blood pressure, and weight. They can also increase your HDL, which is your good cholesterol. In addition, MUFAs make you feel full so you eat less. So use that olive oil liberally and avoid most other oils. Polyunsaturated fatty acids, or PUFAs, are more flexible than MUFAs because of their double bonds. And that makes them go bad faster. But we need them. We need them to reduce inflammation, heart disease, diabetes, and even depression. Oily fish like salmon is a good source of omega-3 fatty acids, which can lower your triglycerides and pr prevent cardiovascular disease. And you can get omega-6 fatty acids in oils. But nuts and seeds are a better source. Now, let's stop right here for a second. Are you beginning to see that your diet affects your health and your health should guide your diet? There is no way I can cover all the recommendations or review all the different diets in one episode. So today we're just going to hit some high points. But you're going to want to keep listening because now that I've covered the six pillars of lifestyle medicine, nutritional eating, physical fitness, restorative sleep, stress management, minimizing exposure to harmful substances, and social connectedness. I'm now going to shift the focus to specific diseases and health conditions. In future episodes, you'll get detailed recommendations to help you prevent and manage chronic conditions depending on your own personal medical history as well as your family history. Michael Greger says the primary reason diseases tend to run in families may be that diets tend to run in families. It's not too late for you to change the trajectory of your family. But before we move on, I want to mention fiber. The bottom line is, it's good for you. And most people only get about half of what's needed. And there's probably not an upper limit, so you really can't get too much fiber in your diet. Women need 25 grams a day, and men need 38 grams a day. And get this. Fiber is only found in plants, and it's so important for keeping you full, which is important in preventing excess calorie intake. So eat more beans, lentils, legumes, avocados, seeds, oatmeal, and whole grains, because fiber lowers your risk of heart disease, stroke, obesity, colorectal cancer, and type 2 diabetes. I feel like I'm starting to sound like a broken record. Fiber is also crucial for gut health. There'll be a future episode on that topic as well. So now's probably a good time for me to remind you to sign up to receive podcast episodes by email. Or you can follow on Apple, Amazon, or Podbean. But if you sign up by email, you'll get a bonus. It's called 7-Day Prescription for Change. And it will help you identify what lifestyle changes you want to make, as well as give you the tools to make them and make them last. Of course, there's a link in the show notes. Now, we could also talk about glycemic index, intermittent fasting, different diets such as paleo, keto, DASH, MIND, 
Mediterranean, vegetarian, flexitarian, pescatarian, or even Jenny Craig. And we will, but today, let me just give you some practical tips. Hippocrates said, let your food be your medicine and your medicine be your food. Huh, we should have listened to that. The American College of Lifestyle Medicine advocates for a plant-based diet. Want to know why? Plant-based foods are more nutrient-dense instead of calorie-dense. And look, I'm not a vegan, I'm not a vegetarian, though I do think it's probably more ideal. But plant-based means just that. Get the majority of calories from fruits and vegetables, seeds and nuts, beans, legumes, and whole grains. The evidence is there. It's convincing. People who eat mostly plants tend to live longer, have less obesity, diabetes, and heart disease compared to quantum. And only 1 in 10 people eat enough fruits and vegetables. The recommendation is five servings a day. So what I'd like for you to do is start thinking now about how you can add fruits and vegetables to your diet. I put blueberries on top of oatmeal, and sometimes I add nuts as well. I make smoothies with frozen pineapple. I add frozen cherries, blueberries, and then I put fresh spinach. You can't even taste it, although it does make it a gross color. You could use frozen spinach too. Okay, I promised you some more practical tips, but let's make this all super simple. Eat food. What do I mean by that? Well, I think you know food when you see it. Think natural. The less processed something is, the better it is for you. For example, a carrot or an apple are natural. Go all the way to the other end of the spectrum and a carrot cake or an apple pie is not. It's got added ingredients and it's ultra processed. In a future episode, you're going to learn how to read a label, and that's super important. But I want you to go ahead and start looking at labels now. You're probably going to be shocked. If the ingredient list contains things that you need a chemistry degree to understand what it is, then it's probably not good for you. And here's a good rule of thumb. The less ingredients, the better. In fact, single ingredient foods are the most natural and the best for you. They can be fresh. They can be frozen. They can even be canned, but be careful because they add a lot of sodium. Shop the perimeter of the grocery store. You know, the fresh fruit and vegetable section, rather than the stuff in the middle. That's where they put the stuff that comes in a package or a box. Another good rule is to eat the rainbow. You'll get the nutrients you need by eating a variety of fruits and vegetables. Different colors are associated with different vitamins, so eat the whole rainbow. The best way to avoid too much fat, salt, and sugar is to avoid packaged foods. As Michael Pollard says, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Plants are nutrient-dense rather than calorie-dense. And here's the best tip I can give you. Eat at home. This is the one I struggle with the most because it's hard to make good choices at a restaurant and even harder at fast food places. I'll help you navigate that too if you stay tuned, but that's all for now. I've got dinner to cook and so do you. Planning ahead is one of the best things you can do to improve your diet and as a result, your health and healthy looks great on you. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not considered to be a substitute for medical advice. You should continue to follow up with your physician or healthcare provider and take medications as prescribed. 
Though the information in this podcast is evidence-based, new research may develop and recommendations may change.